so we, we started this conversation with pelvic, talking about pelvic floors. and uh, oh, is it recording? Yes. Tanner, Tanner, what's your last name? Hampton. So we're, we're at Tanner Hampton, Hampton here and Danny Laughlin from Laughlin Performance and Physical Therapy, and we're talking about pelvic floors. And we started – we got on the topic of – we're jaw jacking around. We're talking about um, sitting on a toilet. And one of the first things you said is you shouldn't spend a half hour sitting on a toilet. You should not. So that is one thing that a lot of guys do that actually makes their pelvic floor way worse. Yes, because it's a, it's a nice place to hide out it from is. time to time. Exactly. You get to be alone, hang out on your phone, catch up on all the things on all the social media. You, you definitely do that. But what, we, what we're laughing you about You can't – so the thing I like about it – so anyway, yes, go ahead. So we're laughing about it because John apparently he takes off – he gets completely naked <laughs> – I don't take my shirt off. <laughs> he gets 100% naked and gets so, in public places. Like, let's back back up a little bit. So I started using the Squatty Potty years ago. Like, yep. this pelvic floor thing came out, and it was very uh, – what I'm interested in is, like, what you're hearing about, like, it coming to the mainstream. Like, Absolutely. people are more interested in talking about yeah. it. It used to be, like, this hidden secret that, oh, yeah, pelvic floor issues. Like, it, don't talk about absolutely. them. Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, so I, we started using the Squatty Potty years ago, and, and then it just became – like I could sit in that position for a long time and I'm, you know, I can do whatever I usually you bring your phone with you and you get caught up on whatever you get caught up on the toilet. So I decided to take it a step further and now I've flipped the toilet seat up. So too much information here, but in real life. So I flipped the toilet seat up and uh, depending on what I'm wearing and, and to an extent where I am, I flip the toilet seat up and I literally, I'm doing it right now. I literally stand, sit, you know, depending on the situation and like sit on or stand on the top of the toilet seat in a full squat. Have you ever stood? Oh, it's been close. It's been real close. Just for reference, if I really wish we were videoing this because this is what – if you guys have ever been to the Kansas City Zoo, this is what I imagine like the gorillas look like. Yeah. Like yeah. when they're you know doing their business, like Absolutely. exactly like that. So if that helps with like a mental image of what's going on in this room right now. But but if it. you want to feel empty, it's, it's like the primal way to take care of your business. Which is exactly what we are going to talk about because you should not ever have to push your poop out in the position that John is putting himself into actually makes him in a way more efficient position for his body to just evacuate the poop by itself. Here we here we go. Okay. All right, well, we kind of jumped ahead a ba- little bit. Back to, back to seriousness. Well, back, yeah, back to serious. That's actually good. I'm not going to do that, but... Um, <laughs> Squatty potty works really <laughs> well, guys. Yeah. <laughs> But so let's talk a little bit, like introduce yourself. So, yeah. Like background. Just tell me, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I have been an orthopedic physical therapist for about three years now. Um, I transitioned about a year ago, started working a little bit more in pelvic floor. Um, so I got really interested in it because I was a patient of multiple providers myself. Um, so I have like literally every classic thing that we will get ready to talk about of pelvic floor symptoms. Um, and so I really just wanted to kind of find that niche of integrating more of the ortho background, which is what we really do really well at Laughlin. Um, and integrating that into the pelvic floor and that more kind of holistic piece of it, especially for our athletes. And Danny, if you want to like share a little, so she said lock and performance and physical therapy, like share just a little bit about like um, kind of where you guys are and how did you guys initially get like pelvic floor therapy over there? Like, Yeah, so we're, we're just down the road. We're at 95th and Knoll. Um, we've been there for 10 plus years. We've kind of paralleled with John in 2020. And uh, so we've kind of had fun, you know, growing our businesses together. Um, Tanner came, she was, she worked for us at our front desk when she was in school, went out. Um, we locked her down for a job way before she graduated because we knew she was going to be awesome. And, um, and last year, uh, you know, she was getting some treatments and, um, you know, other reasons that kind of led to it. But really, she brought some education pieces to our staff and was like, Hey, I think this is stuff that we need to 
start looking at in more of our patients. And then as we dove into more and more of the research, I mean, anytime you have low back pain, pelvic floor is involved. So they did a, a recent study that came out, and then I'm going to hand this back over to Tanner and let her uh, dive into the details. But a recent study came out where they looked at females with low back pain that went in for like um, epidurals and SI joint injections, and 97% of them had uh, pelvic floor dysfunction. And it was not necessarily something where they were aware of it or even knew what was going on. It's just those muscles um, are, they're going to go into protective positioning as soon as, you know, an insult is introduced to the body. Um, and so uh, from our standpoint, we looked at it and we go, okay, well, you know, our most of our providers are not going to do, you know, straight pelvic floor therapy, but how do we incorporate this stuff into exercise and, you know, stuff where we can treat it externally and, and help people manage this stuff on their own so that, you know, it's just another component of wellness, the way that we look at it. Before we dive further on, can we start with the simplest question of the day? What, maybe not the simplest question, what is the pelvic floor? So, so we'd all know what we're talking about and what we're listening to. Yep. So I'm going to pull out my pelvis even though you guys can't see it. So the pelvic floor is really three layers of muscles. So the most superficial layer is the layer that's the closest to your skin. Um, those muscles are really involved in control of your your urethra. And so a lot of the times when you have tension in those muscles, that can be a really common role player in leakage of urine. Um, tension, not looseness. Correct. Yes, it is especially in our CrossFitters and anybody who is athletic. It is almost always tension with weakness. We'll talk a lot about that. Tight muscles are not strong muscles. Tight muscles are almost always a weak muscle because they are so tense that they cannot get long. We need full range of motion of every muscle in our whole body, but our pelvic floor especially. A tight pelvic floor causes a ton of problems, and most of our athletic population is coming in with way more tension and tightness issues than they are more of a laxity type of um weakness mm -hmm. all right so keep going on the yep. so, so that middle layer is most is, is your sphincter layers um so that is going to those muscles are going to relax in order for you to actually be able to clear urine and feces from your body so you do not push the urine out you do not push the poop out your body does that for you a muscle in your bladder pushes your uh, urine out for you and then the muscles um your in your rectum are going to push that out but you do not push the poop out your body is supposed to do that by itself Hmm. And so, so you have a so she has like a skeleton of, a, of an actual pelvis and a yep. pelvic floor, and so part of this skeleton is actually part at the low back as well. Absolutely. Right? So main low back tailbone stuff, all of that SI joint is all intricately, intimately related with our pelvic floor because those kind of side bones of your hips. They come together with your low back, and that is what your SI joint actually is, is it is your pelvis connecting with your low back is what the SI joint actually is. So it is that connection between pelvic floor and your leg. Now, one thing I did want to hit on, like, because you said it already, is CrossFitters. Yes. Right? And CrossFitters, and, you know, 2020 Fit is a CrossFit gym. It's a, a fitness center, or whatever you want to say. Um, and... So many women, and this is almost kind of where the, the conversation started with when I asked Danny, like, hey, we got to do like a, a, a podcast or something about this is because there's so many women that are going to come in and they tinkle when they do jump rope or when they're squatting heavy, but no one wants to talk about it. Hey, don't, don't say that. that. That's not okay. But what's not okay is the fact that you're peeing while you're double underneath or you're peeing while you run and all that. And there's this 
misconception that that's uh, well I've had babies yes yes 100% I cannot tell you how many people I talk to more even in like my general ortho stuff that we'll be talking and I'll be treating them for several weeks and then at several weeks in they'll like whisper to me oh by the way when I do this, I pee a little bit. It is that, like, forever it's just been kind of pushed to the corner, and it's like, okay, I'm just going to wear my black pants, and nobody will know that it's happening. Well, they sell specific pads for leakage. Yes, they do. They and also you don't do. Need that. Yep, exactly. Should. You should not need that. And so, unless it is very, very rare for somebody to have a true medical condition to where their leakage cannot improve. Oh, really? It does exist, but it is very rare. It is it specifically exacerbated by having children. Yes and no. And so the reason that most people that the leakage tends to get worse after children is that most people do not get taught how to reconnect to their core and their pelvic floor muscles. And so it tends to get worse post children, but it doesn't have to. So one thing, one thing that Tanner has um, shared with our staff specific to this problem, because we get patients that will ask us about it. They may be in for shoulder or whatnot. And then, you know, as we're talking, it'll come out like what she was just saying is, um, and this may be an answer to your question as well, John, for um, post-pregnancy, but a lot of it is dependent on the positioning of the pelvis. And so when you have those patients that have the big sway back, so like the big arch, that's the pelvis tilted forward. And in some of the education that she's done for us, that's a ton, that's a very high tension position on the pelvic floor. So when you're jumping or, you know, trying to move heavy load and you're in that, um, like tilted position, nothing's stacked. So then the only option is for the pelvic floor to be extremely tight and create a lot of tension. And so then it's going to push urine out like involuntarily. So how I like to explain it to people early on is, and that's the third layer of the pelvic floor that I didn't kind of got sidetracked on. So the third layer really acts like a trampoline. And so there's never zero tension in those muscles, but they do need to be able to have a good range of motion and be able to elongate well and then pull back up. And so when we're in that anterior tilt that Danny's talking about, exactly like he said, especially the front part of the pelvic floor has to be in that tight, taut, lifted position. When that happens, it's basically like your bladder is bouncing on concrete instead of bouncing on a trampoline that has nice give to it. We need that give in order for the bladder to be able to drop down, especially with things like running, jumping, double unders, all of those things. Our deepest layer of our pelvic floor muscles need to be able to control the speed that that bladder is dropping down in. And so if they're really tight, taut, pulled up, that bladder is just going to bounce on it really hard. And that's where that urine leakage so, usually so comes what, from. What I'm like, what I'm sh- trying to show vision, here mm-hmm. that you're, that you're showing us clearly is when the pelvis is tipped forward, the bladder is almost, I look at it as like bouncing off a bone. It is almost. Yes. Yeah. Very similar. Yep. And so, and, and if it's, if the pelvis is straight up and down, mm-hmm. it has a cushion to bounce. Up Absolutely. And Interesting. Yes. Yep. That's a great way to look at it. If you're thinking like pelvis still for like, what the heck does that mean? Like when you're like trying to pop that booty out, you know, when you're like, so your butt's going back, but your but, but your hip bones are tipping forward. Yeah. Yep. Bones are tipping forward, tipping just, forward. just imagine Jeremy walking around, when he's got like an upper body pump, mm. yeah, he's like trying to stand really trying big. to puff, trying to puff yeah. it out. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Now, if we were to say one thing to, what I, I learn a lot more stuff from here, but one thing I'd really like to get down is like it shouldn't be a um, a secret that everybody has a pelvic floor. But like, if yes. you were to say, you said ninety seven percent of people who have low back pain, um, who, women who go in for, for women, women who go back in or go in. 
um, have something wrong with their pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. But in general, men and women combined, how many people would you say have pelvic floor issues? Or, or what percentage? Oh, man. <laughs> if you've had low back pain... I mean, I'm, I'd raise my hand. I'm going to say that pelvic floor is involved. I don't think so, you can have low back pain and not. There's there's too many nerve connections and there's too many structures that are intertwined there that they they have to be. Yeah. And she's laughing right now because she doesn't want to I would say, say everybody. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> like, so, one yeah. of our questions is, like, who would benefit from pelvic floor therapy? Literally everybody. everybody. Yeah. Now, now how could, what could you say in a way that makes it not weird? Because I think people, like, I can't talk about my pelvic floor. Like... Like, no, you can talk about your pelvic floor. It's okay. Is there anything that you tell people like, hey, bro, you gotta... So there's a lot of stuff to it. So kind of in the the pelvic floor profession is a little bit newer. It's only been around for 30 years. So a lot of people, if they know anything about pelvic floor I mean, That's floor brand therapy, new as far as the medical Absolutely. Yeah. And so in general, if people have heard anything or have like a history, if they've been to another provider, it is more of that like kind of gynecological feel of like it feels very clinical and it is like in a dark room and we're just doing internal work and not really bringing it into that functional movement piece of it is so that's a big piece of why people are like, I don't really know if I need this but every single person who wants to be athletic and continue to use their body well because our pelvic floor is so related to literally every movement that we do everybody would benefit from it and so even in um, there's even, another even if I don't pee my pants when I do double unders yes but right. if your back hurts every time that you work out you definitely have some right. pelvic floor dysfunction. And another one is also neck stuff and shoulder stuff. So we'll talk more. Yep, that's another really <laughs> big one ra- for people. Jeremy's raising his hand right now. Oh, yeah. I've had, I've had Danny need on my pelvic floor. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so one of the main roles of your pelvic floor is to manage pressure within your abdominal cavity. So think literally anywhere below your chin all the way down to your butt. All of that. Our pelvic floor with some other muscles have to control the pressure within that system. And so it, a lot of the time it is leaking, but pain symptoms are also a symptom that we are not managing pressure well. And the pressure is getting put into our joints and other muscles because our pelvic floor muscles mm. cannot control that pressure so That could well. be a, a – we're talking about shoulders. So if, if I'm not able to manage my tension – Yep. In, in my midline, yep. I could be defaulting Absolute, somewhere in my sh- Absolutely. I see so many, especially in our more athletic population, shoulder pain related to poor breathing mechanics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so for a layman at home, so it's any random normal person at home, and they're sitting there thinking, I wonder if I have pelvic floor problems. What is there any type of test or something that they can do? Like, Or, hey, if you check these three boxes, you should probably go see someone. Absolutely. Yes. So if you ever have pain when you are going to the bathroom, pee, poop, does not matter. If it hurts, you need to see somebody. Like butt pain? Or butt pain, like, vulva, pain in your vulva, yeah, pain yeah. in your belly. Yeah. If that is a painful process, you need to be seen. You need to see somebody. Um, if you have pain with any sexual activity is another really big one. Um, if you are leaking anything, gas, urine, feces, if you are something is leaving your body and you do not mean for it to, you need to see somebody. If you have had any history of abdominal or rectal surgeries, whether it is related to having a baby or not, is another really big reason you need to see somebody. Um, and then anybody who has carried and or delivered a baby, whether that comes out vaginally or via C-section, it does not matter. Both of those things are huge, huge things that cause so many differences in the way our core system works is that unless somebody teaches you how to retrain and reconnect to that, 
that is a huge reason that people say that, oh, that's just what happens after you have babies is because they're not being taught how to re-engage those muscles. All right. So we, we've discovered, I'm going to say, me, number one, I, I checked the box on a few of those things that you already mentioned, right? So I need pelvic floor therapy. I'm nervous and I'm like, shoot, what are they going to do to my pelvic floor? I don't know what that is, right? What would be like something, I come and I see you, what is going to happen? So day one, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. And even before you get there, you're going to get a form that asks you a whole bunch of questions because the pelvic floor is related to so many different things, bowel habits, bladder habits, the way your GI system works overall, your sexual function, um, a ton of different things. That questionnaire kind of gives me a better insight into which areas we need to most specifically target and work on on that first day. So I'll take that information and kind of target my questions a little bit more specifically, figure out kind of where we need to start from that perspective, whether it's whatever your biggest issue is, if pain is the number one thing you're looking for um, some relief from, if it's leakage, if it's something related to intimacy, really trying to target that whatever our treatment is based on that. Um, and so, and then the other big thing is I always watch how people move. And so, especially in our athletic population, the pelvic floor never does anything by itself. The pelvic floor is working all the time, every single thing that you do, even while we are sitting here talking to each other, but it is supposed to happen easily, naturally, and automatically. So that is a huge thing that we work on day one is even just tr teaching people what that easy, automatic, and natural is supposed to feel like and so that they can go replicate that on their own because your pelvic floor is working the rest of the hours of the week that you are not with me. And unless somebody knows what that is supposed to feel like, they are going to go out into the world and continue to be in all of those kind of poor patterns that are co contributing to their dysfunction. So we watch a whole lot of functional movements, a lot of similar stuff. If anybody's ever been to us or any other provider that does a lot of good orthopedic care, want to watch how you're rotating, how your spine's moving, how your hips move, how your ankles move, um, how your rib cage is moving. And then from there, that also gives me just a ton more information as far as what muscles we need to treat. Depending on the person, there is typically an internal portion of the exam, but it is, if you've ever been to a gynecologist, it is nothing like that. And for guys, if you have had a prostate exam, it is not like that either. Um, and so it, I will tell you everything that's going to happen. There are no stirrups. There's no tools. It is just my hands and you get to know everything that is happening. It is really just to assess the tension in the muscles and also so that you can feel the breathing that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and so that is the first step I usually use with people to help them connect to their pelvic floor is teaching them how to breathe well, because that is how we get that easy automatic connection to the mm -hmm. pelvic floor. Okay. So it's not scary. It is not scary. Every single person who has ever come there after our first visit, they're like, Oh my God, that was not as bad as I was expecting. Thank you. I am very nice. It's fine. It's fun. It's fun in here. We laugh. We have fun. It like the first time everybody is nervous, but it is just another part of your body. Okay. So that's good. That's helpful for people. So like nine times out of 10, so someone comes in um, and you said you, you walk through the, the initial form or whatever. Yep. Most common problem. How do you address it? So we almost always start with breathing because I have yet to meet somebody who comes into my office who is breathing well when they come in. Um, and so if you're having pelvic pelvic floor dysfunction, you are not breathing well. Um, and so that is the easiest way that we can start to connect to both pelvic floor and core because it is the same thing. Um, and so that is a really easy way that people can work on on their own. People are always so surprised. They're like, so you're telling me that you're going to give me these three exercises that are just breathing and I'm going to start peeing my pants less. And I'm like, yes, yes, you are. And does it work? It does. Every right. time. So there, it is never like a 100% shift visit one to visit two, but there, I have yet to have anybody come back and not tell me it. 
I think it's getting a little bit better, actually. Okay. Danny's turn the mic. I will tell you this. So I have stolen a lot of Tanner's exercises and specifically the breathing stuff. And um, selfishly, it has helped my golf swing. Oh, there we go. And now you perked up some ears. Yeah, I know. I'm just <laughs> trying to I'm trying to reach a whole audience here. Yeah. But it has selfishly has helped my golf swing quite a bit because there's far less difficulty in creating rotation mm -hmm. and maintaining like that stacked position. So that's what she was talking about with like that anterior tilt of the pelvis or rib cage being flared and then pain being other places in the body. So that breathing is like the key component to everything being able to stay stacked. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. You did great. So is there anything like, so people at home, they could, uh, they could, well, give me an example of the breathing technique or whatever. Yep. So breathing technique is we are diaphragmatically breathing. Diaphragmatic breathing and belly breathing are not the same thing. Your diaphragm is in your rib cage. It is not in your abdomen. So when you breathe diaphragmatically, I tell people three things to think about because people like get super in their heads about this. If you are doing these three things, you're going to be doing it at least somewhat correctly. So you're going to inhale through your so nose. It does not matter. You can be in literally any position in the entire world. So just lay out. So any position you want to. Is any, it easier on your back? It, for some people, yes. It depends on where you carry your tension. So a lot of people have a lot of tension in their lower back and along their back muscles. And so they don't aren't able to get the 360-degree expansion that we're getting ready to talk about in just a second. So back isn't the best for everybody. Um, I prefer hands and knees to start with just because it is a little bit harder for some people. But well, like I'm on my hands and knees. Yep. Right. Yep. But a lot of people actually do better with a little bit of tension in that hands and knees position um, instead of being on their back. And they also get better back expansion which we're also getting ready to talk about so okay. the first part is you inhale through your nose and you exhale out your open mouth for diaphragmatic breathing you do not have to do that all the time but while we're working on it that's a good way to like tell people to start rule number two is that as you you inhale the air travels downward it doesn't have to get all the way to your pelvis but ideally it will on your exhale the air starts down low in your pelvis and it comes back up out your mouth okay. rule number three is that you don't want a ton of movement anywhere in your torso but you want a little bit of movement everywhere in your torso so 360 degrees all the way around your rib cage is where i tell people to focus first do you ever put a uh do you ever put like a, a band Absolutely. around their around their above so it'd be above belly button below their sternum Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. So like, and that's a great cue for people initially, especially if they're not getting very good expansion around, which is really common, especially in our people who have a ton of back tension. They're not going to be able to expand their back well to start with. They need some help with that. There's a bunch of different positions that I can put people in and work through that. But a band around is a really good what's called a tactile cue. And so it gives you something to push against with your breath. Now, how would someone know if they're doing it wrong? If you are feeling anything that's called bearing down, so if you are feeling pressure, heaviness, anything like that down in your pelvis, you are not doing it well. If you are feeling a ton of movement in your in your chest or tension in your neck, that is a pretty big sign that you're doing too much. And that's a lot of uh, like a, a lot of endurance racers and like especially ultra marathoners. 
I know they have a lot of problems up in their neck and their chest because they breathe up here and all of their yes. breathing muscles up in their neck and chest get really, really tight. Absolutely. Diaphragmatic breathing. Yes. And that is exactly that. And that is why I say not a ton of movement every, anywhere, but a little bit everywhere because you do want your chest to move. If your chest isn't moving at all, that's we're not getting the whole system pumping, but you don't want a ton of movement at your chest because then you're not going to be getting that expansion down low in your rib cage. As far as a rep scheme goes, like, what are you looking for here? Do you do this for five minutes? Do this for 10 breaths? Do this for... It honestly depends so much on the person. So are people who are like super go, 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 go and want to do everything perfectly, I actually usually don't tell them how long to do it for. So I will tell them, I, yep, it, yep, and that's what everybody does. That is, they'll do it. Yes. And then they will usually do it way more. Yeah. Um, and so it is a like... It depends, which is kind of a crappy answer. Usually I will tell people about two minutes at a time. So, so, all right, so two minutes time. How many times a day? Here, here we go. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy's getting selfish on this. Um, I, you'd usually do like once a day, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. No, yeah, it's a little selfish because obviously I always I have I have pelvic floor issues. Um, I just know that just from just sitting here talking, right? And yep. I've had back pain for three years. This is a you know. So now, and I joked around and said I didn't joke. I did joke. Danny has needled my pelvic floor. Yes, you can. What did you say when you first walked in? I said that when I tell, talk to people about doing any dry needling of the pelvic floor, before they even ask me any questions, because it is always the first question, I say, I will never put a needle in a hole. That does not happen. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> now you so know what to clear. expect. Yeah. Exactly, yes. We will not be asking for that. No, yeah, no, yeah. That's... That's good to know. Exactly. People probably would get scared about that. I mean, just walk in, pull your pants down and be like, no, you don't do that. Yes. Get, get yeah, people. Yes. Before I started yeah. doing that, people are like, you want to do what? Where? Yeah. <laughs> like, I promise it's not as bad as you think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it actually works well. But I mean, just so that people at home can kind of start to realize, man, I really, it's hard. Even though we breathe every day, it's really difficult to breathe well and to breathe right. And it's something that we don't think about at all. Even though it's the thing that we do the most, we breathe more than we eat. We breathe more than anything else. And if you stop breathing, you die. Um, and so sometimes we just need help. And even if you practice it at home, sometimes you don't know. Like, shoot, am I doing this right? I've been. I don't. I don't even know. And it's hum it's very helpful to go go to someone like you. Absolutely. And that's why I try to make it as like if you can do these couple of things, you're doing at least it at least somewhat correctly. If it feels weird, if anything hurts, you probably should see somebody. So this was probably like the biggest thing that she brought to like the rest of our providers was timing your breathing during the appropriate like inhale exhale of a movement. Um, because as we were going through some of this and like looking at the anatomy and how many structures the diaphragm like touches and has connections with and how important that is for like lymphatic flow and like your body's waste removal and all that stuff. Like it is, it is literally attached to everything. And so we, you start to get people that, you know, if we're testing shoulder or something like that, um, and we start timing their breathing with the exercise, all of a sudden range of motion looks very, very different. And shoulder blade mobility and recruitment looks totally different. And they're like, what, what is going on? You're like, well, we're just timing the breath so that now like everything can be stacked and stable at the right time versus your body kind of like fighting against it a little bit. And so like the breathing is probably the, the main thing. Yep. And with that, I feel like I didn't super explain how the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work together with the breathing. So to put it all together, diaphragm is a dome-shaped muscle that sits 
underneath your rib cage and kind of comes up in towards the top of the rib cage. So when you take a diaphragmatic inhale, it is an active contraction of the diaphragm. It flattens out. That is what should create that 360 degree expansion of your rib cage. And that is why belly breathing is not the same is because your diaphragm is up in your rib cage. It is not just down here. And so diaphragm actively comes down. It pushes that air 360 degrees around your rib cage. And while that happens, there's a little bit of outward movement all the way around your torso your pelvic floor is descending at that time. That's that kind of trampoline mechanism I was talking about. There's never zero tension in those muscles, but that is a relaxation of those muscles on that inhale. And then as you exhale, it starts in the pelvic floor. It contracts naturally. We do not Kegel while we do that. There is no need to emphasize that any extra, but your pelvic floor muscles will contract automatically with your exhale and that should also automatically get your deep core with it if the air is moving back up. Diaphragm comes up, and it comes into a relaxed position. Tanner, will you, just for everybody listening, will you walk them through um, what you did for us and just a breathing pattern going through an air squat? Yeah, absolutely. So for most people, what you should be doing, if you have a ton of dysfunction, you may need some kind of different tips and tricks to kind of work on it in the meantime. But in general, the best way to breathe while you are squatting is is you should do one inhale and exhale before you even get into your position. So one diaphragmatic inhale, feel that um, a little bit of a brace, which happens easily and automatically with that exhale, your deep core should kick on by itself with that exhale. You feel that, you keep that small brace and then you take another inhale through your nose, it's not going to be able to get as low because we're already loaded a little bit and that's normal and that's okay, but you should still be able to inhale with that little bit of a brace down low in your deep core. You inhale anytime you are dropping towards the floor and you should exhale against gravity. Out your mouth? Out your mouth when you're under load. Normal daily breathing, you do not have to exhale out an open mouth. It is actually much better to keep your nose or keep your mouth closed and exhale out your nose. But under load, yes, that exhale out and open mouth is going to help with your glottis, which is um, something inside of your throat. It helps push the pressure back up versus that pressure bottoming out, causing pain, leakage, anything like that. So, so you're sp- you're, it sounded to me like when you're closing your hip, you're inhaling. When you're opening your hip, you're exhaling. Sounds a lot like yoga breathing. Yes. When you so say you're going, you're going, you're going down in a squat. Yes. You're clo- You're closing your uh, hip. Okay, you yes, want to be breathing absolutely. in on the way down. Absolutely. And and out on the way up. Yes. Okay. Yep. Love yep. That. And that exhale against gravity is going to help the pelvic floor muscles engage naturally, so mm-hmm. that you don't have to kegel as you are lifting as you are coming up out of that squat. Those muscles are contracting for you by themselves, which is what they're supposed to do. Notice she didn't have any breath hold. Oh yeah, throughout the entire thing. So we'll we'll probably rub some people the wrong way, but um, that's been a big game changer for what we've seen in clinic. So no, like no breath hold in the bottom of the squat, or even in the so even so a lot of like what I think big brace. So like especially people wearing belts, so they're gonna wear a, a weightlifting belt. They take a big breath in through their stomach and brace down really strong tension and then bang hold their breath throughout then especially like a one or a max so you go down to the bottom of the squat and then you're driving up and you big exhale out um as you're getting getting through the top yep. and you didn't mention any of that at all and so even the words that you used when you said that a big brace and a push down that push down is what bearing down actually is that is your body pushing your pelvic organs down and 
that can lead to things like prolapse. Um, that is a huge, huge, huge reason that people pee their pants. And prolapse can happen in boys and girls, Absolutely. Right? Oh, it, yeah. It can. And that amount of pressure has to go somewhere. So if you're not having pelvic floor, it's probably going to one of your lower discs in your low back. So if you got people who are deadlifting and they're holding their breath the whole time and then their back feels like crap the next day, chances are there's no breath timing with that and so all that load just gets shifted to the joints because there's nowhere for it to go all that pressure so really teaching people how to brace and move at the same time because a lot of people can't can't um uh i don't know brace their do core both. do both and move at the same time <laughs> especially their extremities yes like core i mean you, your cores and your extremities so like bird dogs and all that stuff are probably very very difficult for people to be even if you don't know what bird dog is or, you know, look it up. Google it. Yeah, YouTube it. Yes, that is a huge. And so that is one of the main things that I work on with people. And they think it's going to take forever. But if you figure out how to breathe well, you get to go back under your load very quickly because once your body knows how to do it, it is supposed to know how to do it. And so it can remember and you can go load it up. It is much easier to gain strength because you are actually using your muscles in the efficient way that they are supposed to be used. When, so you have to like back off for just a little bit, but once you come back, you actually can load your bar way heavier because your body knows what to do with that load and how to transfer it. So one thing I like to do is I like to um, – I have a same warm-up that I do every single day, yep. right? So now – uh, and I'll just tell you what it is. It's two rounds, uh, bike 10 calories, push a sled, pull a sled, okay. bike, uh, ski 10 calories, uh, do a bear crawl down and back 50 feet. I do that two times through. Then I go specifically towards my, my workout, right? Okay. Um, what can I now add in yep. as a breathing pattern, almost reset or start or whatever you may say yep. that I could throw in? Cause I want to do that every single time before I warm up. I mean, I want to, I want to breathe right. Totally. So it, very much depends on kind of what your goals are. That is so for you. can get yoked and ripped <laughs> and strong as all get out. What do you think? Fair enough. <laughs> so for the cardio type of warm-ups that you're talking about, and okay. this is really good to talk about because there's a – so in lifting movements, you should inhale and exhale with each repetition. There are a lot of movements, especially in hit style or like CrossFit, anything faster paced. People are like, how am I supposed to inhale and exhale with like when I'm on a row or am I, what, what am I doing here? You do not have to, especially anything fast, you do not have to inhale and exhale with every repetition. That is not going to work. Your body will be like, what the hell are you asking me to do? Can I go somewhere? (laughs) So with that, um, so if you're doing that, you need to time your breathing to make your exhales a little bit longer than your inhales. So if you're already having pelvic floor dysfunction, you're not going to be able to. So ideally, your exhale would be twice as long as your inhale. If you are already having pelvic floor dysfunction, if you try to exhale for twice as long as your inhale, you will probably pee your pants. So there's a little bit of like a work in progress to it. So a great place to start is I have people inhale for three seconds, exhale for four seconds. So it's just a slight, um, I guess, small difference in how much longer the exhale is compared to the inhale. And why we work on that first is so many people are coming to me that already have so much pressure in their pelvic floor that that we need that stronger, longer exhale to get that pressure out. And so if we're doing the same inhale for three, exhale for three, the, the, we're getting good pressure management as a whole, but that initial pressure and tension that's kind of just been hanging out in most people's pelvic floor for a long time, we need to overcome that and do a little bit longer exhale to get that resting pressure out. So basically, so in my, say in this warm up or whatever, I could, I'm on the bike. Yep. I could go three seconds in, four seconds out, and I'm focused on that. 
diaphragmatic breathing. Yep. I could probably even wear a band because I'm silly and I probably would need it some uh, tactile feedback um, inside of a warm up. And I do that throughout the entire warm up, and then it'd probably prime the system. Would you say so? It definitely would. And another thing, I don't know. Depending on your workouts, something I'll have a lot of people do is even like halfway through their workout, if stuff is starting to not feel awesome, if you are like, okay, it's getting a little harder for me to breathe under this load, I can feel stuff starting to get a little bit of tent, a little bit tense, take 45 seconds in literally any position, it does not matter, work on your diaphragmatic breathing, because what is happening most likely is that you're not, as your body is working under a heavy load, you're not getting that full descent, especially as your body gets fatigued. And so getting out of the workout portion, so you're doing it not under load, allows that bigger range of motion. So then when you get back into your workout, your next couple of sets, you're going to have that original range of motion that you started your workout with. Now, a lot of people are probably doing this naturally too. So like if you get into a, like a tiring Metcon or something like that, where you're, you know, all of a sudden you step away from the bar and you take like two big breaths, like you're, you're self-regulating there. You're trying to clear CO2, you're trying to regulate pressure. So a, a lot of us already do this on some level, but knowing why you do it can be a great training tool to know, like as you're getting, as that bar is getting heavier or as you get deeper into like, you know, those ridiculous hundred rep workouts that you continue to program that destroy me every week. Um, like that stuff is that's where you can step back. You know what you're doing. You're taking big breaths in to regulate pressure and to kind of reemphasize to your neurological system. Like, Hey, don't fry out on me just yet. And then you're also clearing like CO2 so that your body can continue to like do what it's trying to do. I just thought I was out of shape. The only thing I want to add with that is a lot of the times if you're fatigued, make sure you're not chest breathing there or with your neck. Mm. Should still be able to move down on your inhales, move up on your exact. <laughs> but right. I like, I like looking swole when I do that. Yep. Ex- <laughs> yes. That big upward movement of your shoulders on your inhales is causing a lot of problems. And, and you see a lot of people. Absolutely. I see that. Uh, way more commonly than I do not. A lot of tension. So much tension. And especially a lot of people clench their pelvic floor Mm -hmm. muscles, which we haven't talked about yet. So kind of like Danny had said earlier, our pelvic floor muscles are protect. A lot of people, they are protective muscle. They're really, they're part of an intimate part of our body. And so in times of stress, fear, anything like that, it is really common for people, both males and females to clench the muscles in our pelvic floor. Almost everybody who clenches their pelvic floor muscles also clench up either in their jaw or their neck. That is also going to lead to chest and neck breathing. And so it's kind of both ends of the spectrum, both the top and the bottom of the system aren't working well. So we could we could go off on a huge tangent here. But if you think about it this way, so when you're in a workout, you're, you move into like a sympathetic state. So in terms of like the neurological system, you're in fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. So fight or flight, what happens? Respiratory rate increases, heart rate increases, you know, you're diluting blood to, you know, all you're, you're ready to either run or you're ready to either fight whatever the threat is. And so the only thing that's going to happen with increased respiration is you're no longer going to get the deep draws that Tanner's talking about. Like we're not breathing fully into that diaphragm anymore. And so all of a sudden now the pelvic floor jumps on board with our fight or flight and it starts to tighten up and starts to lock down. And then from there, you know, short term, like that's fine. We're going to get out of that. We'll, you know, move on. But for people who like, we see a lot of people who live in that fight or flight 
you know, with our, you know, chronic pain or they've had, you know, stuff that like longstanding injuries, um, that be, that's where that becomes like a serious issue. So just again, another tangent that you could go off on, but it's really crazy when, when she started learning more about this and came to us, we're like, holy crap, like this is literally involved in everything that we've been treating for 10 years. And this is such a component that is mismanaged and mistreated and like looked over. And like you guys were saying earlier, like it's this hush hush, you know, people are embarrassed to talk about it. But I find myself literally talking about it with everybody who's in my office now, because it's just it's involved in everything. If you're even if you're just a normal functioning person, like it's just another component of your wellness that if you take time and and work on it and work on breathing, it's just going to make you happier. It's going to regulate that balance between like parasympathetic and sympathetic. And, you know, if you're on whoop, like it's going to help your HRV and your recovery and all that stuff. So that's super cool. So I, I think I've come to terms or we've all come to terms with the fact that everyone needs assistance here and, and everyone I, maybe not everyone needs assistance but everyone could benefit stand to benefit that's a great way to put it and, and i think what we see a lot is we see crappy breathers every single day because yep. we we test people by getting them out of breath absolutely and we see them completely fall apart and not yep. able to do skills that they can do when they have a low heart rate you know and a low respiratory rate yep. so i i think what I want to kind of summarize this with is everybody needs to learn how to breathe. Absolutely. We need to learn to better stabilize our pelvis. Yep. And what would be your thir- third point if you could add a third point? Your hips and your rib cage both need to be able to rotate well both directions. Okay. That is a huge role player in all of it. And it, they feed each other. So if you have pelvic floor and core dysfunction, you are most likely not going to rotate well. And if you don't rotate well, you're going to have dysfunction there. So working on your breathing and rotating through those two parts of your body are really easy things that people can do on their own to start working on this. Okay. And if they can't, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm thinking of a, um, there's a, there's a movement that I've been doing and I'm laughing right now because I'm going to get made fun He's, of here in a second. He, Jeremy does jujitsu. Uh, <laughs> no, I've started jujitsu. There's a movement that I, that is in a warm up in jujitsu and I also do it now every day uh, or uh, probably every day now. Um, and it's, I don't even know what it's called. I just call it the wiggles. Okay. Um, and it's basically you you lay on your back and you you move across the floor. So knees are up, shoulders are, you know, your hands are up and you move across the floor just by rotating your body. Cool. Right? And, so I also have a one of the uh, a female athlete do it here, and mm-hmm. it's interesting that you say rotate same on both sides because there's one side, especially for her, but also for me. I notice I can go one direction really, really easily, yep. and then my hips when I'm going the opposite direction are state. I mean, they don't move like they are just stuck. Yep. We all know Danny's probably not in his like he's not in his head. I have tons of issues, um, and probably all stemming from my pelvic floor. But that's one thing that you. I mean. That could be like a quick diagnostic. I'm looking at someone. I'm like, oh, yep, and you can't rotate one direction. One side, you rotate great. Other one, you're like, That is, yes. Like, So the biggest problems are with people who have big asymmetries. So even if stuff's not working super well, if it's the same side to side, you're going to be a little bit less dysfunctional than if things are crappy, but they're okay on one side and really bad on the other side. Interesting. Okay, so so we've got we've given some people a couple ideas of things they can do on their own. Yep. 
there are some people that can't help themselves. There so are. How do they find you? Yes. So um, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's Laughlin Pelvic Health. Um, if you DM or comment anything on there, it'll come straight to me. Um, my email is Tanner at LPPTKC.com. Um, you can always email me directly with any questions or call our front office as well. And we can schedule a phone call too for about 15 minutes if for anybody who has questions. Yeah. 95th and Nall over by Sprouts. That's where they're at. Yeah, right next to Firestone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Firestone? Firestone? Nailed it. Yeah. yeah but that's where I get my tires fixed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, it's, we it's, are it's, next door. Yes. Uh, no, it's, it's a pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate you bringing this topic to the forefront. Um, of course. I'm glad you guys are talking about it with all your athletes. Yeah, because it's it's real life and boys have the same Absolutely, yes. The same issues, but boys have issues too. They and do. It's, and it's okay to ask about it as a female, to not be embarrassed. Like, right. yes. be okay with asking about pelvic floor and say, I shouldn't tinkle my pants. Yes, right. you deserve to know how your body works. Right. Oh, love that. Boom. We'll close right there. Perfect. Okay, thank you guys. Of course.